We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Conquering Arsenal, roll on into the weekend, facing a team that couldn't even beat the bottom side. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Uh, we do play, it says here, Manchester Untied um, this weekend. And uh, I, I am reliably informed that the team they lost to at home is so bad that despite beating Manchester Untied, uh, that team is still 20th, still dead last. So... I'm not concerned for this weekend, as I am sure uh, none of you listening are concerned uh, this weekend, and that didn't sound like proper grammar, but you get me. What we're going to do today, we are going to uh, recap the phenomenal, enjoyable, sensational victory over Southampton and preview the upcoming victory over Manchester United, which uh, I'm not jinxing at all. You can call me Jinxy Jinxerson and block me on Twitter at Jinxy Gunner or Yankee Gunner. Either one. Block both. Um, Clive's here. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. Tim's here. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Paul's here. You can find him on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. Woohoo, indeed. Um, just a quick recap. We've started doing Premier League Roundup pods uh, on the Patreon side of things. We did one yesterday, so if you need a discussion that doesn't relate directly to Arsenal, although Arsenal always creeps into it, we have that available for you. As do we have a Martin Odegaard uh, scouting video, and you notice I am not struggling to say his name perfectly correctly, and the reason is he put a video up on uh, the Arsenal official account where he said his name correctly and then said, or you can just call me Odegaard. Um, so yeah, you, you feel feel free to say it how you want to say it because because he's 
given us permission, which is really what um, what I think makes me the most happy as a podcaster anyway. Uh, very excited about him arriving, and we do have a great scouting video about that. So having said that, let's talk Southampton, and it feels like a million years ago because we are in such a uh, quick, fast-moving news cycle these days, but it was a good win. And Clive, I want to just start with the approach. I think there were times during that game where you saw us more open than we've been in the past, where our defenders were forced to defend in space on the run back towards their goal more than you've seen. But this was the case because we were really putting Southampton under pressure. We created good chances early. Obviously, Lacazette should have scored right at the beginning, uh, conceded a goal, but then continued the pressure, got back to level terms and won the game, as everybody knows. And I, I, I do wonder if this is maybe a changing, not just of system now in the four-two-three-one that we've seen, but a changing in philosophy from Arteta with a willingness to contribute more manpower, more territory up the pitch. Uh, we used to defend, I think, by being a little more cautious. And I think caution was thrown to the wind a bit in the first half against Southampton. So do you think that's an accurate assessment and uh, a contributor to why we looked a little more potent against Southampton? I thought we were a bit more front-footed. And on occasion, we need to be a bit more aggressive in the challenge. And I think I don't think, I think we were open, not because we wanted to be open. I think we were open because they're quite good at getting to our edge of our box sort of thing. They progress in a, in a in a quite a good way. They have two forwards that drop in to receive the ball and spin quite quickly, and they have Walcott running in behind and Armstrong running to get feet and carry the ball. And I think the way they get in down our channels is really quite good. And as watching fans, we were getting quite nervous as they were you know, crossing from both sides and running in off one side. So I think fair play to them, really. They're two fours. Che Adams is a decent player and Danny Ings we all know about. So, yeah, I, I think it's down to their ability to progress. He's quite good. They sort of dropped Ward-Prowse a little bit deeper and he's, he's got a great switch and strike. So they get the ball where they want to get it. So I didn't feel we were open, but I feel once we got the ball, I felt they were open. And I had a good feeling about us going forward. You know, I really thought, even after they scored, I thought we were quite good. And of all the games this season, this has been my favourite. This is because I just felt we looked like a team that we could do again. Do you know what I mean? We can do this again next week. And if we do it this way, I'm all right with it. You know what I mean? You can flip the personnel and little tweaks. If we play with this sort of style, with good principles around what we do off the ball, how we pass the ball forward quite directly, how what our movements like, what our secondary movements like, when we split into Lacazette, how we split round the corner, that's a pattern play. The Shaka to Pepe link, nice. Party going engaging, Shaka thinking I better do the same and following in behind. Everything's squeezed up. Now that to me is football. And I don't care who it's against. If you do that most weeks, you're going to get good results. And we're getting back to the, where we spoke about this on the, on the PL podcast, where the principles which I've just spoken to almost overcome the system and the shape. We weren't really, you know, in all that discussion I just did, we weren't talking about in between the lines. It doesn't matter, you know, so much. If you're doing all those fundamental things, there will be a game for in between line play. If we're all thinking this way, get it, spin, half turn, forward, it's all good. And, that, and I thought Southampton running backwards and, like I say, my favorite performance this season so far. Yeah, I, I think um, I think there were a lot of really interesting things about this game and, and player performances that 
I want to dive into. But you know, I I do think that we sometimes overfocus on the personnel and maybe don't focus enough on where they're playing and what they're being instructed to do and so so on and so forth. And I <clears throat> I definitely felt watching this, and maybe it is the personnel that make it look this way, that there was a a clear instruction or at least a clear attempt to have more territory, you know, have have more of the ball pushed into the final third, more players near the final third. I mean, you you can see that as clear as day when it comes to Shaka, who was playing inside the final third, slipping in little through balls into the penalty area, uh, giving what should have been one assist and leading to a second one, uh, you know, not playing 50 yards from goal, playing 25 yards from goal. And, and that difference, I, I think, really helped us uh, create more threat. Tim, one of the things that I think is going to become an issue as we start to, to talk about Manchester United, we don't have to do that yet, obviously is, is what happened on the left side with Cedric and Pepe. And, uh, mm. you know, we don't know if Tierney will be available this weekend. We don't know what Aubameyang's personal situation is, but it certainly worked. I think credit is due to Cedric, who was solid, uh, if you want to be, I think, circumspect about it, and excellent if you're willing to be a little bit more um, forceful about it. But either way, it was a good performance. And then there's Pepe on the left. Um, you know, it's sort of interesting. I think going into the season, we would have said it's crazy to misuse Saka with him on the right and crazy to misuse Pepe with him on the left. And yet Saka mm-hmm. has made that right wing position essentially his own. And, and Pepe put in one of his better performances on the left-hand side. The goal he scores, I think, is is probably underrated in terms of not, yep. not necessarily the finish, but the, the way he uses his body, pins the defender onto his back and you know find, has the strength to hold him off and finish it. A really encouraging performance, and I'm curious to get your contrast between the way we played on the left-hand side with a high-touch player in Pepe and and uh, a right-footer in Cedric versus the more normal Tierney left-foot Aubameyang low-touch player that we normally have on the left. Yeah, I I, I found I, I found this whole approach really interesting. Actually, um, j- just to build on the question you asked, Clive, Arsenal had none of the top six passes. Um, in the game, which is quite unusual under Arteta. Um, and then you look at, uh, so like to move, I guess to move on to Pepe first, um, you know, I, I thought the fact that he played on the left was interesting. I, I didn't think that that was um, why he played well, though. I think you're right about the goal and, and Arteta referenced, didn't he? The, um, you know, they, they thought, and you could see Arsenal were always trying to drop the ball behind the fullbacks. And this is one of the things we spoke about before. Southampton basically burned their fullbacks um, by playing them in the cup game, lost them both for this game. Um, and they had two fairly inexperienced kind of kind of options there and Arsenal were constantly looking to get into that space and uh, Arteta said something um, I think it was Art Roche from the uh, the uh, the Athletic who asked um, Arteta about playing Pepe off the left and he you know he, he just said that in this game we just thought that there was space he could do interesting things with there and and you know he he scores the goal in in what I think is his kind of his favourite like in inside forward position and um, I forget who it was on the Discord that said this but I've thought this as well that that uh, the thing is I, I didn't really want to say it because I'm so wary weary of trying to fix Pepe and trying Ooh, to yeah. suggest things <laughs> that will get the best out of him but I I have always been curious about him as a bit of a second striker. 
Um, only curious because we don't really play with one, so it's not really there's not really much point in being curious about it. But kind of the way we played him at Anfield in one of his first starts at the beginning of last season when we played that four diamond two and had him and Abamyang as split strikers. Like I, I quite like the idea of him as a second striker because I think his finishing is good um, and also being like a second striker. Um, I guess almost like a Timo Werner um, type, you know, where you don't actually have that much tactical responsibility. It's just try and find a space and get a shot off. That's, that's you know, what that position's really about. But like I say, we, we don't really play with one, but that's the position he scores the goal from. And, and what was interesting, I think in the first half, I was watching the way Cedric was moving and um, I, I found it quite, I hope this doesn't sound... Um, like pejorative or critical because I, I don't in, really intend it that way but I was kind of laughing at times at his mm. movement because it was obvious you know he'd been asked to like tuck into midfield which we've seen a lot under Arteta he was being asked to underlap Pepe as well quite a lot and kind of move inside him and initially like I think he was game but you could tell he'd never re- certainly not done that from left back before and he was kind of just running all over the place um, but like show, showing like a real willingness to do it. And then in the second half, I think he settled into it um, a little bit more. Like I think he was a bit frantic, but you could see what he'd been told to do. And he was, you know, he was, he, when I say trying to do it again, that sounds critical, but I think he really settled into it um, quite nicely. And, and, and he in many ways typified our performance because he had like, 55% I think passing completion but he I think he was one of our leading players for passes played in the final third mm. and you look at a couple of the cross ball um, passes he hit and um, and yeah it didn't feel like he only had 55% pass completion because and I think that's because he had the ball so high up um, you know and and so you tend to notice people turning the ball over more when they're on the halfway line or in their own half of course yeah. whereas he was he was a lot higher than that and and so you you forgive a player more and when they're kind of in the final third and they don't quite get the pass right and and i think therefore you don't really notice it and 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 honestly i don't this wasn't like a kalasanach 55 percent where he's like mucking stuff up that's mm. quite easy i think it was because he was asked to be enterprising he was asked to try and hit that that cross field ball you know the the one thing about the the way southampton play with that 4222 it's narrow and what you can do when a team plays like that is you can really drag them to one side of the pitch when they're not spread you can really you can get them like and you can basically like throw a blanket over their four attackers which works really really well when they're on the ball and Clive's right they create a hell of a lot of threat doing that because they're hard to pick up but when a team does that and they're not that narrow when you've got the ball you can drag them all into one place and that's why I think Cedric was encouraged to hit those crossfield passes it was right let's let's play on the left a little bit drag them over here and then bang hit them with the switch and go over to our right-hand side. And you saw that work perfectly for the third goal. And and it was really, I thought it was really, really interesting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, and this is not out of like my own pride because I call, I did call him a bad player two games ago on Cedric. I'm not quite ready to proclaim him like the absolute answer to our fullback problems or anything like that. Cause I thought this was a really, really specific role actually. And, and credit to him, he did it really well, but it's not a role I think we're going to ask a player to play in every game 
Um, but but nevertheless, it's really encouraging that in a game like this with this specific tactic, we kind of know we can plug him in there. Mm. I, I, I still wonder about him like when we're at home to, I don't know, West Brom and they've got 10 players back. Um, you know, I, I, want, I, I still think Bellerin's got a little bit, a few more clubs in his bag to pick teams like that open. But for this specific role, I, I thought Cedric was great. And, and Pepe, it, it's not just that he was playing on the left, like, so he he had seven ball recoveries, right? I, and 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 this tells you something about the Arsenal performance. He he had seven ball recoveries. Um, I think um, Smith Rowe had seven as well. Party was on five. Like Smith Rowe and Party came off before the seventieth minute. If they'd played for ninety, I mean, this is part of the reason they didn't manage to play for ninety because they they worked so hard off the ball. But Pepe just worked harder. That mm. that. That's why his performance, it wasn't just the goal. He worked harder and he was closing down and he was doing those things that, frankly, we don't see enough of um, from him, which given his part in Southampton's goal was especially pleasing that he reacted like that. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, the un- unfortunate thing about stats, <laughs> there are a lot of people that say everything's unfortunate about stats, but like one of the stats we use for pressing is PPDA, passes per defensive action. And what it's basically saying, right, is how many passes does the opposition get to make before you make a defensive action to recover the ball, right? So an interception, a tackle, a foul, whatever the case may be. And the problem with PPDA is it's over the course of a game. So our PPDA doesn't look mm. that impressive, by impre- not, doesn't look that pressing at 16.3. I can't prove this because I don't have it broken down by timing. But I would be willing to bet that we did more pressing in the first half of this game than we did most of this season. The problem is we sat off a lot of the second half, and then Southampton wound up having a lot of possession and a lot of passes second half, which is going to make our PPDA look less pressing, right? So if they were able to make 25 passes before we inter- intervened in the second half, that's going to pull the whole thing up. I, I would submit that we were recovering the ball much higher up the pitch in that first half. And that allowed us to have that territory that I talked about. And, and Paul, I, I sort of want to bring you in here now, seeing as how you have not contributed to the podcast as as of yet, uh, nearly a quarter yeah, of hour. Yeah, I specifically want to talk about the pressing. Well, that that's great then. Then then this dovetails well, because what I was going to say is that, like, I actually felt that Smith Rowe wasn't a big part of some of our <clears throat> best periods of play, only because the lines were more compressed. I mean, the thing he's been so good at is being between the lines and connecting. I felt there was less of that to do, that Party and Shaka became more primary and prominent in, in creating opportunities because we were up the pitch. So setting the second half stats aside that I think dragged the whole thing up, I think, you know, I've been saying for a long time, we'll create more chances if we can add a press in. I think we layered that in. So is that is that how you saw it as well? Well, uh, as I always say, if you don't like the stat you're looking at, look at a different one. So there's, Perfect. <laughs> on, there's on always F- one for you. FB ref. <laughs> Yeah, FB ref doesn't really talk about PPDA, but it does talk about pressures. And uh, what I loved about this game, I, I found it fascinating. Uh, I love the fact we won. I loved we scored. That is always good a good goals. thing. It's my favorite stat, yeah. by the way, yeah, when yeah. our goals are more than their goals. Yeah. Yeah. But I loved that we went to Southampton and we Southampton them. So yeah. we pushed all the fuck up up with the, the uh, center backs and the back line into their half right from the get-go. And we press them the way they like to press other clubs, especially where they are uh, play, playing at home. 
and we did the thing they do to other you know part of the reason they play the four two 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 is so that they can as you said like a a uh, push the team to one side squish them up against the touchline and press them against the touchline that's how we got our first goal um we had double the num like you can look at pressures across the pitch but in the final in the, our attacking third we are the least attacking team or sorry least pressuring team in the league pretty much and we were off the charts with this one we had 60 pressures in uh, the final third they had 30 against us they had more possession but we did all the pressing uh in terms of uh, and you could see it in the first couple of minutes i mean they had a goal you'd say against the run of play and i kind of didn't lose my shit because i already sensed we were going to create opportunities here and you know lacazette led the pressing i think he had something like uh 18 uh pressures of our 60 um Pepe was second in that. And Lacazette and Pepe really pressed in the final third. Uh, Saka did a little bit more pressing around the midfield and, of course, in the final third. But it's very clear what our intent was. It was to, uh, for the team that's one of the least pressing, if not the least pressing in the league, we tend to keep our shape. We tend to not even make tackles and interceptions. We basically hold our shape until they cough up the ball and then we play it out of the back well not really our game plan here we did something totally different um and occasionally we just pressed the shit out of the other team we did it against united as well to get that win that was a pressing performance <clears throat> yes yeah, so the last one i remember line. that was that was analogous i agree with that yep yeah yeah so and smith row was absolutely integral to it but so too was Lacazette, so I'm delighted to eat a hell of a game. I think the fact that Aubameyang di- didn't play is opening up interesting possibilities. And, you know, we maybe we've been trying to fix Pepe in a way, in an overly complicated way. What he really enjoys is either counterattacking or a bit of chaos in their back line, which the pressing approach allowed for him. He, he doesn't want a set defense. He doesn't want three, four guys ready to block his his dribble, his attack. But if you can stir the pot in their back line, uh, like all your attackers will look better. The other thing Pepe hasn't had, and he kind of has a right to, is the chance to play with an actual number 10. And he's somewhat been excluded from from all the fun while we've been playing well. It's kind of, there's been a couple of games where, where we've been playing really good football and I kind of threw in, you know, he would have really enjoyed playing today. Um, and this was his day. He got to play when we had a 10, when we were pressing, when we were attacking, when there was chaos, when the ball would break from and he could do something with gaps. And he tore them a new one along with, with the other boys. So, uh, of course, it wasn't all fun and games. It wasn't all roses. Um, on the Chaka thing, I just think he looks so much better when... Uh, Party can absorb the pressure, and his job is to keep his head up and look upfield and wait for when he gets the ball. Mm. Um, and he'll have his his line cut out, and he did did a few line breakers, and he opened things up. So um, that was just for me. This was a game in which uh, Arteta said, "Screw what we normally do. We'd less possession. We'd way more pressing. Like L- Liverpool, on the average, does forty pressures a game by the F- FB ref stat." We did 60-something or other. 
Mm, um, wow. yeah. Now, of course, they'll have their variations. They'll have games when they were doing 60 or whatever. No, but, but, on but the to average, be fair, Paul, I think the yeah. reason that's also kind of eye-catching to me, or ear-catching, ear <laughs> is... um. That I know we weren't really doing it second half much, so that you're talking you about do it predom- the whole time, yeah, yeah, predominantly a first half of doing it. And yeah. you know, I think one of the things that's misleading about pressing is we sometimes think of pressing as like chasing down like madmen to to close down a guy on the ball deep in his half, right? Like racing after him. Yeah. I I think the way we pressed was more shutting down the angles, getting close, getting in their yeah. eye. Line. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a race to them and so take the ball you, off their foot. If you think of the Lacazette chance, right, the one mm-hmm. Chaka puts through to him, yeah. the first one where he's one-on-one, it starts with Smith-Rowe pressuring the guy, but not tackling him. He just It's kind of almost Mesut Ozil-style pressing. You just you just want to get close enough that you're putting him off, you're cutting off a line, that he only has a couple of options, and he's rushed, and you'll get the ball back, or they'll do something stupid. That's... That's why he passes to Chanka. He's pressed by Smith-Rowe. But Smith-Rowe doesn't go in on the tackle. Now, this is all good news because Martin Odegaard doesn't tackle anybody, but he presses a lot of people. That's mm. that's, that's He's story. kind of a slightly yeah. more aggressive Ozil running up to people uh, so that they do the wrong pass. But he ain't yeah. tackling nobody. Well, all right. So then, you know, I think one of the things that, that this led to is – a change in how the central midfield worked and maybe a slightly different and, and somewhat reduced role for Smith Rowe. Uh, Clive, I know you had some interest in just putting a, a few punctuating words on Pepe. So I, I don't want to cut you out of that. Cause I, I think you have some really interesting perspectives on the player and, and how he played in this game. So can you, can you kind of quickly summarize for me what you wanted to add on Pepe? And then I'd love to, I'd love to discuss that party Shaka partnership. Cause I get, I get the sense that that's going to be our, our primary uh, partnership for the rest yeah. of the season. I think I think Pepe is really the most interesting thing because we we know the investment in him etc. So for me to see him play well is great, but it wasn't just him playing on the left as Tim said earlier. For me, it was we used that left sider as our forward player, and I think Pepe is a forward who can play wide. That I've felt that for a while. If you look at all the clips in the box, he doesn't finish like a winger. He finishes like a killer forward. So. On the right-hand side, the way we use the right-hand side is more of a, a combination role. That player sometimes is very, very wide, uh, away from the box, and has to do a lot of decisioning, moving it, getting it off. Like Saka plays it, basically. He's perfect for that role because he's more of a midfielder. And our striker, Bamiyang, was always on the left-hand side. We've seen Pepe play the left a couple of times, and it was okay. You know, he did quite well. But this time, it wasn't just the left. It was his early movement. So he had the responsibility, in my mind, to say, I'm the main forward. When we get it, I'm going, and I'm getting in behind them. And I thought his whole body language was much, much better. And he just handled that responsibility as a striker. Now, I'd like to see that that role on the other side as well. I'd like to see us a lot higher in the wide areas and really being aggressive in behind almost two false nines or two false tens, whatever you want to say, whether it be Laka, Smith, Rowe, Odegaard, two of those three dropping in and we really diving in behind them with real aggression and real speed. So Pepe was asked as a forward to play that role and I thought there's so much about his game which is beautiful technically. The way he has his wide stance, protected the ball first away from the defender, I know he shifts the ball from one foot to the other a lot, and people think he lacks a bit of control and body power and core strength, etc. But that's his skill. 
It's good is how he uses both feet and he shifts it between them. But we've got to get that skill further up the pitch because in our own half, he just looks like a bad player. But in their half, running forward, he looks a sensational player. And that's the difference. And it's all about his style position and his aggressiveness to run and commitment to run. And I thought he was really, really good. And I hope we've found the key to him and the key to how you want to play in those wide positions. And I think the addition of that central creative position and the addition of a really strong nine one day, I think will allow more creative and a forward freedom from the from the wide areas. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I mean, can I get you maybe like a two-sentence answer on this? Is there an argument when both are available for choosing Pepe over Oba in some games? It definitely changed the way we... It is a different style of play with a high-touch, carry-the-ball kind of player on the left versus Aubameyang, who's a run-off-the-defender player. And I... Look, Aubameyang's a better player than Pepe. I, I don't want anyone to mistake what I'm saying here, but they, they are different yes. types of players. And I'm curious how you how you think about, you know, the the, the way playing with Pepe changed the dynamic of, of our left wing. I think we've been all saying for about a year that Saka, Pepe, Aubameyang are our major goal contributors. Right? So Those just do three. the obvious thing and use Pepe uh, Aubameyang as a striker? I don't know about that oh. one, Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all been saying it. We know the numbers, right? Goal contributions, assists, you know, it's staring, it's staring us in the face, right? So mm. we're creating options, aren't we? We're creating options. I think the most important thing, can we just stop giving Pepe the ball next to the dugout and ask him to beat people from there? Do you know what I mean? What a waste of resources. Let's, let's just stop doing that. That's step one. And try to get him going in the direction he needs to go, which is towards the goal, in between the eight and lines, and just play football there. Let's do that. Otherwise, we look a bit stupid. Do you know what I mean? So have your fullbacks creating a nice little cradle for them to go and do their danger where it's going to really hurt the opposition. So, yeah, so just to put the big three in. He's, he's coming eventually. We're not going to have 33-year-old Young right up and down left wing, are we? So let's just get it done. He can combine enough. If the 10 is good enough and strong enough, I think Aubameyang is perfect for that position. Yeah. Um, so then I'm going to stay with you just for a second, Clive. I'm fascinated by by how our midfield works, and I think central midfield has been such an issue all season, and, and Thomas Party has been a revelation in, in the way central midfield looks a little bit more functional, but also in the way we're using Granite Shaka now. And look, the reason we were a little more open in the first half is because Shaka was playing deep in the final third. But I, I'm here for it because I... You know, I think the irony about Shaq is whatever perception there is of him being this guy who likes to sit deep and distribute long, and he certainly does, and he's good at that. I think the idea that he can defend in space when he sits back there is is flawed. So, I, you know, I'd almost rather just push him up and have more control in the final third, more pressure on the opposition, and defend with four defenders or or let Thomas Party try to range back and, and cover that space. I don't know. I, I, I struggle to kind of analyze how our central midfield works, but... I mean, Shaka definitely had the kinds of passes we didn't see him playing earlier. I mean, the irony is one of the defenses that's been made of him in these games when he's played 100 passes and had created no chances is that that's not his job. He's the intermediate value passer. But in this game, with a lot lower involvement in terms of volume of passing, he created two guilt edge chances. So he, he can do it depending on the space he occupies. Do you... Do you have an observation yeah. about Shaka's role alongside Party in this game and, and what it might mean for our midfield going forward? Yeah, cause and effect, right? It's two major things that's changed him. 
the centre backs. Since um, Mary's come in, he was the first one to really do it. He pushed the line up. Very simple. Even though he can't run, he doesn't care. He pushes the line up because he knows it gives a, it gives his midfielders a chance to go and do more work engaging, which makes his day easier. Right? Bloody can don't... run, Clive. Have you not seen my video with the horse? <laughs> yeah, I, I like him a lot, trust me. So it's not a problem. So, um, so he was the first one to do it. Step the line up. Fine enough, he won those games. Now, we, I, something that Hart said again, we were very much focused on pushing the line up. And as soon as you do that, your centre, your centre midfielders have got to step up. Now, if you're a good centre-back partnership, you do not want centre midfielders on your toes. If you're a coward centre-back partnership and you're lacking a bit of confidence, you let them be on your toes because we're conceding goals and we're losing games. But we're a bit more confident now, so we're getting them off their toes. Now, Thomas Party understands the distances between him and his centre-backs, and he understands where the problem is. The problem is about five yards up there, and that's where my man is, and I'm going to go and get him. And you better come with me, Shaq, because I need you five yards on the angle. Right? So it's all about him, and it's all about centre-backs, and everything is moving forward. And it's, and it's just a simple thing, but as soon as you see Arsenal engaging in those spaces, we're quite good. We are quite good and our decision making under pressure in small spaces that's Arsenal Football Club we're not a big space team we always used to have small space technicians that make great decisions with, with intelligence right and I think very strongly that this is the way forward push that line this is why I was so hopeful that Oliver and Gabriel would play I just because I know we can push up we can gamble because they'll win the races we're doing this with slow centre backs we've got old centre backs it's a, it's a good principle the principles are beyond the system and the player choices. And because of that, we've seen a better Shaka because he's in areas that are better for him. He made Pepe paid well in the week and in the week because he kept giving the ball really quickly and early. And he has to follow party because otherwise there is no midfield partnership. So cause and effect. And I tell you what, he's really getting some praise, isn't he? I mean, even on this podcast, right, we're praising him because we can all see. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many touches you have. It's what you do with it. And he's far more effective. Yeah. Um, well, then, I I don't want to wait much longer, Tim, to to get in our our praise for Bukayo Saka. I, I feel like we take it for granted now. Um, you know, Martinelli came in, had an immediate impact on the team, got a little hurt. He's been out for you know a long time with long term injury. He's coming into it. He'll he'll be a star. Give him time. Smith Rowe stepped in, totally changed things for Arsenal. Uh, you know, helped us change shape, played between the lines. In this game, maybe less necessary. And I, I still maintain, it's not that he was bad in this game, it's that with the central midfielders playing further up the pitch, that, that connective tissue was less necessary. But I I don't know. Bukayo Saka, to me, it just, he is going absolutely nuclear right now. The, the thing that you want to see from these young players who flash a bit of skill is, do they start to demonstrate the end product regularly? And, and that's there. Look, the, the goalkeeper... Definitely makes his life easier on, on the goalie scores. But to stay that cool and that calm and to do it is, is great. What blew my mind in this game, Cedric plays the ball, what is it, 50 yards, the big switch to him? It's 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 got to go 50 yards in the air. And he's put that across mm. the corridor of uncertainty. First time with his weak foot. And it's perfect. He just, he seems so calm. He seems so comfortable in his role. He's playing on the side that wasn't his strong side. And I, you know, I have to say that I think this... Um, look, I, I realize he burst onto the scene sort of as a wingback, which can happen, right? A young player with a bit of attacking flair has to do some dirty work. 
But I think what we see now is this is a an out and out forward. This is a goal scoring assist making forward with with really elite talent. So do you want to just build on my amorphous non question uh, praise for Bukayo Saka generally? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I wrote about him this week, and uh, one of the the thing I, I I really focused on in the article was was his his eye his football IQ, um, and I was I was really drawn to something Arsene Wenger said a few months ago when he was promoting his book, and and he was asked about what he thinks the next development in football is, and he said we're coming to the end of um, what we can do with players in terms of physical speed, and so neuroscience will be the next development, um, the speed of decision making and things like that, and uh, and and I think that's what Saka is. He's the, he's the poster boy for. The neuroscience, the speed with which he makes decisions and with which he executes as well, and um, you know, in in his GCSEs, um, for for people who don't know, in England, that's like when you those are the exams you take when you're 16. He got four A stars um, and three A's, despite missing most of that year at school. Like this is a this is like a high functioning individual. I think he's one of those people that just has, you know, like, is it only like humans only use 10% of their brains or something like that? Um, and, you know, then you get like the odd person who who can use 11% of their brains and usually they're like chess geniuses or something like that. And I, I kind of think that's what Saka is. I think Saka is just like a guy who in general has just discovered and like knows how to use a bit more of his brain than the rest of us. And I think that really comes across in the way he plays, the speed with which he does things. Look at how quickly he adapts to everything. He was great at left wing back. He was brilliant at left wing back. He was really good on the left wing. I thought he'd turn out to be a left central midfielder. Um, you know, in a, in a front, not in a front three, in a midfield three, I kind of thought, yeah, that kind of Dimaria, Sadorf role. But you're right, he's adding in product. Um, and he's done that quickly as well, because that that wasn't necessarily obvious in his game when he came through, even like six months ago, that wasn't obvious. Um, he was getting assists, but I, I didn't necessarily see the goals in him. But now I see it. And it's just how quickly he takes to everything. And I think um, he's just got that kind of emotional intelligence as a footballer that I, in the article, I compared him to Fabregas, not not in his style as a player, but in his understanding of his teammates' attributes. So he understands what's going on around him. He understands who he's passing the ball to, how they want the ball. And that's what Fabregas had, right? Fabregas was like, right. He was able to, in half a second, go, that's Walcott. He wants it along the floor. That's Adebayor. He wants it chest height. Uh, that's Kleb. I'm going to give the ball to him. And then I'm going to run to the edge of the box because he will not lose it, but he will not want to do anything with it once he gets to the edge of the box. So, I'll just, you know, he just had that kind of um, that ability to see pictures and to understand what his teammates are doing. And and, and that's what Saka's got. He he provokes other players. And and I think um, the, I, and I want to fold this into a point about Smith Rowe as well, because I think. It, it's Smith Rowe that has freed Saka as well because they're, they're both on the same wavelength. They both want to play kind of one touch and combine. You can tell they really enjoy playing together. Um, and, and I really think it's no coincidence that Saka has started showing, um, you know, real goal scoring form since Smith Rowe, you know, came and just because what, what Smith Rowe does is he just connects the dots. Like he goes and finds, you know, oh, my mate's got it on the right wing there. And, you know, 
he's got his right back overlapping him, but he's kind of heavily marked. And then, you know, after that, it's Shaka like 40 yards backwards on the halfway line. So I'm going to go over there and I'm going to make that connection. And, uh, and, and I thought this was, I loved this performance from Smith wrote. Um, and I'll tell yeah. you why his, his like the rate of goals and assists he was providing not sustainable like you can't throw up a goal and an assist every game like if he does that like that's that's almost messy level that's not going to happen so what are you looking for you're looking for Pessimist. other things that he can do <laughs> <laughs> so i always i always thought i wasn't i was a bit relaxed about the the assists he was providing because i was thinking oh that's great and it shows he's got that like that final pass and he's got that final shot but actually where, where i think he's he's like lubricated this team he's like he's you know he's put a little bit of oil in the wheels it's just because he connects so much but in this game what i loved was his pressing you know seven ball recoveries when he was on for 65 minutes brilliant because that that shows another side to his game he could he, so he was the one who was triggering the press he was the one that was pressing the southampton center back and that was the signal for everyone else to go so that's another way he can create and that's another way that he can contribute so he can play the final ball he can go and do the one touch but also he can press the hell out of you as well and take the ball off you and we've seen that a few times before this southampton game i think that wonderful goal against west brom starts with him winning the ball back so like he's kind of smithrow has he's got that kind of that Ozil number 10 yeah i can pick out the, the through ball but he's also got that really modern number 10 that kind of yeah and if if you're not giving me space that's fine i'll come and nick the ball off you um and and i'll get you in transition as well and i think that's the really pleasing thing about him and saka is they can both they're both good technical footballers but they can both play on transition as well um and that, that shows you that they're they're you know they're, they're both very talented they're both very intelligent and understand game state and what's what's needed in different situations but you must say from arsenal's point of view that also means they're very well coached and if I'd be very surprised if Per Mertesacker is not wheeling Bukayo Saka out in front of every fucking underage group in the club and saying this guy, because everything Mertesacker espouses, you know, do well in your exams, be a good human being, all of that. Saka is the poster boy for that. Like, look, this guy, brilliant exam results. Look what he's doing in the team. This is mm. like the shining example. And I'd be shocked if Mertesacker hasn't got him, hasn't got him round Hale End um, quite a lot. Yeah, uh, Paul, you you wanted to weigh in on this as specifically the the intelligence aspect of Saka's play. Yeah, um, uh, it might get a little ugly here because I might disagree with Tim a bit. We don't well, really do that. We can just presume that uh, you're about to say something wrong and move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could do that, but let's not do that. Okay, let's do something else. So, like, what's interesting about footballers is most of them, even the dumb sounding ones, are smart. Like Rooney's a really smart guy, but he doesn't come across that way. And Saka certainly has the book smarts, but Tim's onto something there about the intelligence. I don't think it comes from the book side of it. Um, I had something I had to do in the past relating to intelligence. And the part of his intelligence that he's really off the charts on is the 3D spatial stuff. Tim talked about that ability to map, to know what's going on. So... Certain players, you just know them, know what have this picture of the pitch, and they're just really good with the 3D 
aspects of things where everybody is. They're also really good, interestingly, socially and networking. So if you're weak in that area, like you'll do poor socially, people will be bitching about you, you won't really know what's going on. So there is an interplay in terms of intelligences. And interestingly, the guy who'll be really good at mapping out the pitch is also the guy who's really good at connecting with other people in a 3D matrix, but also know not what's going on in terms of relationships. And we've just put, you get multipliers. So having Saka is great, but kind of for a while it wasn't enough, right? But you put Smith Rowe and you put Lacazette in the same area of the pitch. And how often do they end up gravitating in the same area of the pitch? And all three of those guys we've seen have a really good map of what's going on on the pitch, where all the other players are, how it's, not only where it is, but how it's about to evolve, right? Because it's, who cares where everybody is right at this moment? Most goals are scored by knowing where people will and won't run to. And there's, uh, Tim's really onto the intelligence bit. There's something special there. Mm. And all three of them have it. And Odegaard obviously has it, as you would expect. So you can put a Ford in the mix. Pepe doesn't really have it. He has other things. I think Aubameyang is great in terms of working out how things are going to flow, but I don't know he's he's quite the 3D map of what everybody else is up to. But those three guys, uh, Party's pretty good at knowing what everybody's about to do next too. So, But those three guys, every time they're in the same area of the pitch, and they often are, uh, just have a tremendous understanding of how the game's about to unfold. I have to admit there were a couple of moments where Party backs himself to beat two guys, three guys, five guys, ten guys, you know, even in his own uh, yeah. in his own half to get out of out of trouble. And you hope it doesn't come back to bite him, but I, I love it. I mean, it, it's high risk, high reward stuff. Um, I imagine he'll get dispossessed one of those times and, and has a couple of times. But for the most part, that elusiveness is great to see. Uh, the great thing about him is when he does lose it, he wins it back. I think most of his regains are off his own losses. Yeah. But uh well, let's let's talk about one player who maybe isn't playing so great right now. And, you know, as we look at the upcoming game against Manchester United and, and start to turn our attention to that, Clive, I, I think we're pretty clear on who we want in the lineup with maybe the exception of, you know, Aubameyang if he's available over Pepe or, you know, if we had our way over Lacazette potentially, although I thought Lacazette had a good and creditable game. Um, but David Luiz is... A bit of a concern in my view. Uh, center back's an interesting position because I don't know that we have any center backs we love. You know, Tim has been very clear, and I tend to agree with him, that Gabriel's good. He's been a revelation compared to maybe what ex- expectations were coming in. But I don't know that we're ready to anoint him as clear first choice, can play every game and, and dominate player. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he is there. Um, but I, I think there's still something to prove there. Rob Holding, good, solid player. Is his ceiling elite? And maybe not quite there. Marie, we don't know what we have particularly there and, and has been injured. David Luiz is a guy that is at the end of his career and you think, you know, he's there to be that that sort of calm head, but but really what he's there to be is a distributor, a guy who can build from the back. I think since parties come in and if we're going to play further up the pitch and with Smithrow connecting the lines, we haven't needed to use center back as a facilitator as much, especially since we moved away from the back three. And it, it has just made me start to notice Luis's flaws more than maybe his his positive attributes, especially given that he seems to be distributing the ball more slowly, more conservatively than he had been. So do you share my concerns about the way Luis is playing specifically 
and that maybe right now the the sort of biggest question facing Mikel Arteta is the center back pairing he has to pick. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think on Gabriel firstly, three player months he got in the first three months a year. Well, as Tim will tell um, you, the new signing always gets. I know. Player of the month. <laughs> but to get three, ask about the the, the Terrera player of the month. <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, it's a bit special. So. And we forget very quickly. He was our best defender for ages during the traumatic periods, shall we say. So um, I think we, he obviously got ill and the type of people that say he had, he didn't train and he's had some minutes and we now think he's not very good and I, I think he'll be fine. Uh, I think he'll come back really quickly. In fact, I'd like to see him play against Manchester United because I feel it's going to be a, it's going to be a running race running across covering areas. You know, they've got very quick forwards that break and they run laterally, and we need someone who can run with them and block them off. So I hope he does play. On Louise, um, my feeling with Louise is I think he has different advantages and different plus points. Some of those are off the pitch. He seems to have a great relationship with the younger players in particular and set some good examples. On the pitch, I think we rely on him too much. I think we play him too much. I think we should play him no more than once a week. I think some days he just looks like it's a game too many for him. And he does silly things. And when he when he sort of inverts on himself, what he does is, okay, I'm not I'm not on myself. I'm not myself. So I need to see the game. So I'm gonna drop off. And I'm gonna and you can see sometimes in the Southampton game, we were very zigzag in our back line. Very zigzag. And it's a way of protecting themselves. He just drops off because I, I can see it. I'm not feeling myself. I'm gonna give myself a couple of yards so I can win that race. And Danny Ings and Chay Adams are pretty sharp, right? So he need to do that on occasion. Heading in his box, he's fine. Passing, he's fine. I think he's just managing his workload. And that's the key for him, because there are days when he's just not in the room. And we can all see it. You know, We can all see it when it happens. When he gets sent off, he'll make stupid tackle or stupid decision in wide areas. Or he goes fishing for the ball in the centre midfield. He did a lot of good stuff where he won the ball off his chest and drove into midfield. He wasn't quite keeping it, but I thought the intention was quite good. And that's a player that was really fighting for his game, but he wasn't hiding, so I'm really rating for that. He's a worry, but he can be rested for this game against Maynard and play really, really well. This guy's a top-level footballer that I just feel you have to manage. You can't let him feel, for me, that he's the king of the show. You just need to say, we're going to lean into you on these days, but sit your ass down on these days. And when we get our centre-back fit, I think we'll get to that point, and I think we might see a better David Luiz because of it. When I see him play three times in six, seven days, I start to worry about him, you know, in particular. But here's what it is. One little bit on party, by the way, and why he was getting tracked by so many people in centre midfield. The advantages of a four triple two Southampton play is that they overload central areas. So they put a lot of pressure in those areas. But if you can get out, like he did, and got it into Shaka's feet and got it out. That's why it looks so good going forward. So risk versus reward was they're going to come at him, but he then gets out. And if you notice as the game went on, they stopped pressing him to a, to a point because his stature was so good. They thought, let's not overcommit. Let's try to block the pass or go where the pass is going to try to recover it there. And that's a sign of a very good player. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you think – let's do this. Let, let's start to shift the conversation to – uh, the game tomorrow to, to Manchester United because we we have beaten them at, at Old Trafford this season, which was great. We did it with a performance, I think, Clive, after you and I watched it again, maybe a little less 
um, dynamic than than we thought it was going to be. But largely, it was a it was a positive performance driven on by first half pressing that we to that point had not done much of. Tim, we we face Old Trafford. We face Old Trafford. We do not, thankfully. We face Manchester United at the Emirates um, under quite different circumstances now. Uh, they're coming off a bad loss, although they've been in an excellent run of form since losing to us. Um, they probably rested a few players. I, I think Edison Cavani is one that we can expect to see probably starting against us. Bruno Fernandes has been a sort of a man of the moment in the league. Paul Pogba's form has, has rounded back into shape. We now face them with our attack revitalized. I mean, maybe Aubameyang back, party now available. Uh, Odegaard certainly available for selection, I would think, although I'd guess it, it would continue with Smith-Rowe, at least for now. I don't know how to really interpret this game on the basis of what I've seen recently. I'm, I'm very torn, but my hope more than anything is that we we remain front-footed because I still think that the the vulnerability that Manchester United has at the back is something we can exploit. Um, how do you see this one? I'm, I'm having a hard time really clarifying my thoughts on, on how, how we should approach it. Yeah, well, la- last time what we did was basically press them off the pitch um, and really, really pressure them. Um, and so I, I imagine we'll try and do that again. Um, now, whether the fact that we did it on Tuesday night and, you know, a few players hobbled off with cramp um, impacts that, I'm not sure. I wonder as well whether, you know, whether he might bring Martinelli in. Like, so we know Aubameyang's not playing, right? Um, that like that's come through this afternoon. So it, it's either going to be Pepe or Martinelli on the left. And and there's two arguments there. You could say, well, Pepe played really well on Wednesday night. Um, you know, he did he did all that pressing and ball recoveries and he scored a goal. Let's play him again. Or you could take the other view and say, well, actually, he's probably pretty tired and we need as much freshness as we can get. So, um, you know, maybe we start Martinelli and bring Pepe, Pepe on. Um, but I, yeah, I I I can see us doing that again. Just because I mean, it worked last time, and I think you're quite right. Like with United, I think really what you want to do is keep them penned in like that because of the players you highlighted. Um, you know, once they get on the ball, it's you know it's it's quite difficult <laughs> really to stop. That they're, they're they're quite a front loaded team, I think, um, talent wise, and they're they're fullbacks. They're quite different fullbacks, actually. Really, I mean, Luke Shaw's been really good at going forward um, this year. He's he looks a lot fitter and a lot better. Wan-Bissaka, you know, a, a really good defender, perhaps not quite there going forward. Um, so again, that that might have some bearing on who we play on on the left. Certainly, I think we know we're going to play Saka on the right. Um, no question about that. So. Yeah, I, I can only see us trying to do that again. Although, obviously, last time we did that with Party and Elneny rather than Party and Xhaka. But, but now, um, and and I think another part of the reason that Xhaka looked so much better on Tuesday night is not just because of Party, because of Smith Rowe as well doing that pressing, um, Pepe doing that pressing. Um, that you know that that because we're playing with a midfield three now essentially not just a midfield two so Xhaka had two midfielders who were really kind of um, putting Southampton under pressure on the ball which meant he didn't have to he didn't have to go chasing after it after it because we know he can't really do that so he could just hold his position and and ping the ball when he got it so to be honest I see us doing something very similar again when you look at United yeah at the back Harry Maguire not necessarily brilliant on the ball or, or particularly quick. I think you can force turnovers there. 
Um, they either play with uh, Nemanja Matic or Fredge um, at the base of the midfield, or McTominay. Um, I, you know, McTominay is quite good on the ball. I'm, I'm not necessarily sure he's a natural deep midfielder, though. Um, I think they kind of squeeze him in because he's quite a good player, but I don't think he's a natural defender. If they play one of Fredge or Matic, that is someone you can rob the ball off of, um, and again, who you can. Uh, you know, try and get turning backwards and running towards their own goal. So I, I think we'll do something similar to what we did against Southampton. We'll we'll look at United's weaknesses as being very much in like the back section of the pitch for them. Um, and, they, and I don't think they have a great deal of mobility there. Um, the, the, the question is, can we do that again um, like we did on Tuesday night? Because... I don't think we really have the depth to rotate in those positions, um, particularly without Aubameyang. So it's good. We're going to have to ask Lacazette to do it again. You know, Udegaard's probably not ready. So we're going to have to ask Smithrow to do that again. Um, you know, Saka, you, you just play and that's the end of it. And then it, it, I suppose it's a choice between Pepe and Martinelli and, and they'll share the game one way or another. I'm sure it will be. Aubameyang is definitely ruled out. At- yes. Okay. Yeah. Do we, um, do we, we still don't have an update on this? Something about uh, it, his mother? His, his, yeah, his, his mum's not well. Um, but it's I, I think it's as much at this stage about the fact that obviously he's left the bubble. Um, so he has to, so he can't just come straight back in. Uh, like, yeah. I, I think under normal circumstances, he would be able to play, but there's the, the additional protocol um, section of it. So, you know, and I'm sure Pepe and Martinelli will share the game um, in one way or another off that left-hand side. Pepe rarely plays 90 minutes anyway, even if he starts. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting. I, I think that that left-hand side between Pepe and Martinelli, that's that's the only choice I can really see. And then it's just a question of, of whether Tien is fit. Um, he, he's still got a look at Party and Smith-Rowe and, and what he possibly can't just look at those players in isolation he might have to depending on what condition they're in he might have to say okay i can't play three guys that have got that might go down with cramp at any minute maybe i i can only play one or two and he might have to make a decision on that basis as well and so well actually you know smith row I, I can't have party and tierney and smith row um all kind of hobbling through this game so that that's that's perhaps another element to it but I think I see us kind of trying to go for a bit of a high press again. Um, and, and then we've got another game on Tuesday, right? It's a really busy schedule at the moment. We're away at Wolves on Tuesday, away at Villa on Saturday. So th- there's all of that to weigh up um, yeah. as well. All, all the more reason, by the way, why I just I felt he made the right call in the, the cup tie. <clears throat> not to, not to yep. bring that up again. Paul, I, I, you know, we haven't talked about him, but we should at least give a mention uh, to the Martin Odegaard situation. You know, I, I can't help it. Clive and I did the the scouting uh, video of him. I I cannot look at him and not see some Mesut Ozil stuff. I'm sorry. I I know invoking that mm-hmm. name constantly is tedious, mm-hmm. but he is a yep. right half space playmaker between the lines with a good left foot who likes to play in an in swinger or a through ball between the center back and the left uh, right back. And I mean that was Mesut Ozil. I mean like, I'm sorry. I, I wish I could give you another comp, but it, it, even sort of stature wise, they they have a similarity about them. And, you know, I do see him being a player that if we continue to play Aubameyang off the left could be a really important catalyst for him because as much as I love Smith Rowe, the right footer is going to look to play in the right right fullback overlapping or the right winger underlapping, you know, or overlapping as the case may be. Um, you know, we're a little stab ball to the center back, uh, center forward. 
the left footer from the right half space is going to try to play that through ball between center back and fullback. And that's where Aubameyang makes his runs. And I think he's he's often been missed making those runs. And I, that could be interesting. He's not available. Uh, so not really a talking point for this game per se. But, you know, I, I am interested. If Aubameyang's not available, it certainly would suggest, I think, that Odegaard could be on the bench. You know, another sort of final third player, given that it's really Martinelli on the bench, maybe. Enkedia, uh, who's you know pretty out of, out of favor at the moment, and then not much. So with Odegaard, you have a guy who can come in if Smith Rowe's hurting and needs to come off. Uh, a guy who could probably play for Pepe or or Sack if he had to. I mean, I don't think that's where you wanted to play him. But so I'm just curious. I mean, do you think there's any inkling that he could start, uh, or do you at least think he could be involved in this game? And do you maybe have a thought about the way he'll approach the position? differently from Smith Rowe. The thing that I think is interesting, despite both, you know, one being right-footed, one being left-footed, they both definitely play in the same zone, that that right half space, top of the box, between the lines kind of place. Yeah, so um, I think, well, I think it's, my guess is it'd be very unlikely he'd start. It's maybe even unlikely he'll get on the pitch. <clears throat> but um, I, I just think it's a little, early. I mean, he hasn't, he's really so, hasn't so let, played. So let me just throw it to you right now. Yeah. Because I, I just want to get the, the vomit out of my mouth early. It's 60 minutes, Smith Rowe, tight calf again. We don't want to risk it. Busy period. You, you think it's Willian, not Odegaard. <coughs> yeah. I de- well, I think it's, I mean, Smith Rowe's training. So I think he's going to I just want to prepare myself for the inevitability of, of the, the board going up and it's Willian's number. And I, you know, I just need to, need to prepare myself yeah. psychologically. Sure. I mean, I I think, I mean, I like to think Smith Rowe is going to play and play most of this. Um, I mean, he might get on as a sub, but I mean, I just don't think managers in general and Arteta hasn't shown the inclination to just throw over Willian at this point. So I think there's a very good chance that the first sub on if we had 10 or 15 or 20 minutes to cover for Smith Rowe might involve something like something that rhymes with Gillian. <clears throat> That's as much as I'm willing to say right now. But anyway, back to your point on Odegaard. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I couldn't watch him without seeing echoes of Ozil. And, but I don't really feel the physical, you might see the physical thing. I really felt the non Ozil from a, just how he carries himself. But I guess it depends on what you're looking at there. But in terms of what he does and what he contributes, um, I think he's like a much more left-footed Ozil, if that's imaginable. I mean, uh, I think his right foot's pretty token. So your fullback running up the right wing or whoever it is who peels off to the right of him when he gets the ball like he he might give a simple layoff with his right foot if if that's what he's got available to him, but he doesn't do anything particularly interesting with his right foot or up the the right wing specifically. It's all about uh, getting in position to swing infield, and as you said, pick up Aubameyang, or maybe we'll have Martinelli coming off that wing later on in the game, um, or. You know, assuming he got on the pitch against United or in his upcoming games, it'll be it'll be for the left winger coming across or the guy running up through the middle. He'll certainly be connecting with with uh, Lacazette in like he'll probably be his go-to guy for connecting, and that'll be his route to connect with Saka. If Saka's off to his right, it'll be interesting there, but it's going to be mostly a layoff of a ball to his right, because it, it's the less interesting angle for the way he plays. 
he's very much a presser in the in that with Smith Rowe way. That's his defensive contribution. He's um, you know he's not going to fall back and become effectively part of the pivot or the screen uh, when we're falling back and regaining possession. He's the guy sitting there like Mesut Ozil would. He's more active than maybe Ozil would, more consistently active across 90 minutes than Ozil would be. But he's basically going to do the same thing as drop back and wait for the ball to be recovered. And he's going to be all about the counter or or the next phase of play. And he'll provide us, you know, his his role defensively is to press their back line or or their upper midfield, and that, that's what he'll contribute. But yeah, he starts on the. You, you can play him in a four-two-three-one, a four-three-three, a four. I've seen him up front starting in a four-four-two, uh, but he's not really. He basically ends up in the same spot, which is that right half space as an attacking a, a right attacking midfielder, and I think Smith Rowe is much more balanced in terms of right or left. I think Smithrow leans to the right because Saka's there, but can is just as comfortable. And we saw him quite a bit pressing Southampton on both sides, both sides of the pitch, right over working with Pepe. So, I mean, Odegaard will get around a bit, but he's got. I think he's much more of a preference to the hang, to hang right in the, that right half space. Don't know if that answered any of your questions. Nope, not at all. But I love the contribution. I thought it was very interesting content. So I do appreciate you providing it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course, mm. it answered everything. Good. It answered my Good. questions, questions I didn't have, questions I didn't know I had, but I should have had. It answered literally <laughs> everything comprehensively. In fact. That I'm just going to cut that out, and that's going to be a separate podcast. But, uh, Clive, um, as we wrap up here, why don't you give me your view of the United game? This is, you know, I I said it when I I left this for for Tim, but I'm really struggling to analyze this one. I I don't think United are brilliant, um, and I don't think they're brilliantly coached per se, but I think that they have individual talent in places that can really hurt you. I think Pogba, you know, the, 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 the midfield they have reminds me of ours in a way in that, there's one player who I think is immensely talented right in the heart of his prime in Pogba, like we have with Party, And then a bunch of other guys and McTominay and Fred and stuff who I'm not as impressed by. They have a playmaker who's dynamic and can do things in uh, Bruno Fernandes, although I think maybe slightly overstated. I mean, obviously he's done a lot from set pieces, from uh, penalties. Uh, across the front line, they have individuals who on their day can can really cause you problems. And, and in Edison Cavani, a guy who's running similar to Aubameyang's is really what you need to cut out and track and and be mindful of. It is it is a difficult game against a team that's fairly in form, even setting aside what just happened to them against Sheffield United. Um, you know, I think prior to that they'd taken something like thirty-three or thirty-one of thirty-three points or something. So it, it's tough for me to call this. Do you have a, a matchup in particular that you think we can exploit? Do you have a particular way you'd like to see us play to take advantage of where they're weak? I I I think that their defense can be exploited. I, I kind of wish we had Aubameyang for this because I think running behind their defenders is a really effective way to go, not to suggest that Martinelli or Pepe or Saka can't do that, but wh- where, where can we exploit them and where do we have to be careful about getting exploited ourselves? Best way to exploit them is um, wait for Solskjaer to pick the wrong team and the wrong system, and, and that's what he'll do because he'll react to the defeat and... When we played him in Old Trafford, they played a diamond, remember? And um, Scott McTominay was out on the right, and we killed him, right? So, 
And the last game against Liverpool, I believe, Pogba was the big game against Liverpool in the cup. Pogba was out on the right again as a, as the odd midfielder in a four two three one this time. He had to do a lot of work and a lot of tracking, and he did it really well considering. Nearly, um, I'm sure the league game, we nearly should have won the game. It might have been the City game, sorry, the City game, when he could have won the game right towards the end, right? So, um, so I think they have a problem midfield. They, he's got too many people he wants to rely on. So obviously Bruno, you can't drop him. But Tom Lee and Freddie likes them at the base. He played Matic in the week. He won't play at the weekend. Popper's in so much good form now. He can't not play. That means they're going to find a space for him. And they'll probably not take they'll take Greenwood out and they'll take Martial out and they'll put in you know, a and um into that higher space and then play um Cavani up front with Rashford off the left and they're quite dashing up front and they are if you but you go discourage them physically as we did at Old Trafford, smash them, get them turned the other way, and don't let them start running into space. And they've had a lot of good results, but a lot they've had a lot of one goal wins. So their results have really been on the right side of the margins, whereas ours disappeared the right side, the wrong side of the margin before Christmas. So for me, it's the back line. Um, Wampasaka is the key. He he tucks round too close to his header back on occasion, and some occasion he's too close to his winger. So he's the one you got to really attack his inside shoulder. Don't go on the outside. He's got an unbelievable long-legged right tackle. Don't do it. There's no point. No one goes round him on the outside. But you can move him because he's thick. And he looks he looks around and he ball watches. But you've got to attack his inside shoulder, similar to the, the goal that um, Pepe scored in the week. Go do that a lot, right? So I think Pepe's the starter for me. Um, I think Marseille to come off, off the bench and add more energy and more distraction late in the game. That definitely works for me. Um, and I think my, with Lindelof and Maguire, they're okay. But I always feel you've got a chance with them. But again, they want the game where they want it. Right in front of them, big head, Bosch, straight lines, I'm going to go and get it. When you start moving them around, moving their feet, get them to go across, they're not so good. They're not so good. So Luke Shaw's been rested, so there's spacing behind him. I think Saka will handle him no problem because he'll work with him, but on the ball, he'll hurt him. Right. So I've got a good feeling. I always have a good feeling when teams want to play us. Southampton wanted to play us. We look good, you know. Um, when teams sit in, that's the time I really worry because, you know, the Burnleys, etc. because we, we have struggled, you know. We have generally struggled in the last year or so. So I think there's opportunities for you us. You don't think, think they'll want to sit in, though? No, I don't think they want to sit in because they got they got Strutters, Paul. they got Fernandez, they got Pogba. They want to get on the ball. They want to get it and move. I don't think they're going to sit in intentionally, you know. I think they'll come with a personality say, we need to recover our lost pride. And it's going to be a case of which team's going to, you know, Man United trying to recover their lost pride versus Arsenal trying to keep the momentum. Which one is going to have the greater, you know, greater win on the day, you know? Mm. So I think I think, I'm a lot more nervous than you, I must say. I think it kind of plays into United in a way that it's at, at us that we've been much more attacking. We're much more front-footed. We've just got this victory with pressing we pressed them the last time i don't know i have a sneaky mm. suspicion they're gonna they're gonna uh kind of play, lean into that and let us come on to them which i think suits them and i must say i rate bruno fernandez really really highly wait 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 don't tell me with that i rate him i'm just saying that his contribution has been over indexed for penalties and set pieces that he's you don't that's not to say he's not playing well 
I'm just saying that's been a big part of his output. That's all. If you look at him against the bigger teams, I don't want to say this right because it's before the game. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't do well. He doesn't do well against the bigger sides. That's all right. We're not one of the bigger teams. Yeah, so he, you have anyway. he doesn't. He doesn't do well. He he he's a def, he, he has he's been great. Right, let's not miss about. He's turned the course of their year around. Right, yeah. so um, I'm not going to undermine his abilities. You know, his bravery and his shooting and his penalties. Yeah, he's been great, but. If you watch him against the very best sides, he can disappear up his own backside a bit, right? So, but we'll see how we go. We'll see how we go. But I'm hopeful that Wamba Saka is the key. He knocks off. Can we go in that channel with Lindelof? That's where I'll be heading all day long. Yeah. Um, score prediction? Hey, well, you know me. 2-1. Yeah. Okay. 2-1. Well, you know where I, I'm going. <laughs> I think we'll just nick it. <laughs> Tim, score prediction? 1-1. Uh, I think this will be a draw. I don't know if I'd take it, but uh, I'm already now. I'm getting. I'm getting the fear. Uh, uh, Paul, score prediction. As Tim, as Tim said that. I'm thinking he's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one one. One my my bad. Mm, uh, I'll say it's a wild three two to Arsenal, but of course that's not what I'm going to say in just about a moment. So Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter. Roberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. I do have to apologize. This was such a jam-packed podcast at the end of the week. I did not have a chance to tell you about shaving your privates, so I do apologize for that. Uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I hope you're doing wonderful wherever you are. I hope you're enjoying uh, the resurgence in Arsenal and, and hopefully just a, a wonderful, beautiful life. And uh, hopefully Saturday will be a, a beautiful day, and I can't wait to do the instant reaction celebrating wildly the thing that I have not just jinxed. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, United Nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.